Welcome to the Financial Coaches Podcast, where we talk about how to build your practice from startup to scale up while being the kind of coach your clients crave. Finally, a podcast for financial coaches. Here are your hosts, Maria Casillas and Cody Sizemore. Hello, and welcome back to the Financial Coaches Podcast. Today, we have a extra special episode because we have a guest. And not only just a guest, but the one and only Suzanne Johnson from Grace Financial Coaching. Suzanne, how you doing? Hey, guys. I'm so happy to be with you today. Awesome. Welcome, well, thank you. We're, we're happy to have you here. It's going to be a fun episode. Um, fun fact, Suzanne was actually a listener to the show, and she reached out to us and said, hey, I have this really cool topic that I would love to talk about on the podcast. And naturally, Maria and I were like, cool, let's do it. You know, uh, we love people. So, <laughs> so that's yes. you too. You know, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, wow, I want to be on this. It could potentially be you. You never know. You just have to. There have you it. go. So, <laughs> so Suzanne, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about uh, your, your coaching practice and, uh, you know, why you got started. And yeah, please include, please you. include how you came up with your name. Cause I love it. Oh yes. So, um, Cody and I, and Maria, we all know, uh, a, a gentleman named Mike. So, uh, hi Mike. I'm sure you're listening out there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yes, I did hear the podcast and I reached out to Maria and Cody and that's how I got here. But prior to that, uh, I had started coaching, uh, many years ago by leading Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey's signature course, uh, as I'm sure most of your audience is familiar with. And I found myself helping, and seven, eight years ago, found myself helping people on the side, you know, the, the students in the class, the members of the class, um, from single uh, uh, Navy active duty guys to couples who had five kids and just didn't even know how they were going to get to the groceries next week. Mm -hmm. uh, so I started, I, I realized I, I have a skill set that I uh, can go across a wide spectrum of people. So started doing that, friends, fam family members, um, and the FPU classes. And in that journey, I ended up paying off $90,000 in debt. Uh, I would wow. love to sit here and tell you that that was mostly student loans because that's what we see now as coaches, right? Uh, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was mostly consumer credit card debt. And oh, um, there you go. Yeah, yeah, which is the opposite of what we usually see these days. We usually see, you know, huge student loan numbers, 100,000, 50,000, 75,000, but mine was consumer credit card debt. Uh, and it was only two cards. Could you imagine if someone had handed me more cards? <laughs> so I finally got my act together. And with the help of a coach, utilizing Dave's Ram Dave Ramsey's principles, the debt snowball, the emergency fund um, saving challenge, uh, it and I realized, okay, you know what? I was able to do all these things myself, but the real kicker was when I got that one-on-one -on -one mentoring mm -hmm. and that's what drove me to become a coach several years ago. And so, uh, Maria mentioned the name of my company. It's grace financial coaching. Grace is all capitalized and it stands for guidance, resources, accountability, communication, and evaluation. So the grace title in general does refer back to God's grace because I personally don't think any of us would be here without it. Uh, but then the breakdown of the words really emphasizes what I do with my clients and how I help them uh, get through uh, whatever financial situation they find themselves in. 
That's awesome. That. And one of the things I love about the name of it is I just think that sometimes coaches forget to give grace to their clients as well. And so while I 100% am on board with you with the whole God's grace thing, I what really got me go, going with that was that you know, she gets it. She understands that we, we can't just be so rigid with everything. And so that grace thing is really, really cool. I'm curious. I'm, I'm going off topic a little bit, but what was your favorite thing to spend on your consumer credit cards? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> uh, you know, Maria, I don't even know. Like I, 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 and actually I closed that bank account completely. It was Bank of America. Oh my gosh. I mean, just everything, <laughs> the, the monthly fees on the checking account, the monthly fees on the savings account. I mean, my God, uh, seriously, I want to go back in time and see how much I spent just letting them give me the benefit of having a plain checking account for Pete's uh -huh. sake. Yeah. Um, so I've closed all those accounts. I, I say this to my clients quite frequently. I would love to go back and see what the heck I spent it on. Yeah. So I would love it was to. Just I don't little, know. I call, I call some spending like that apathy spending or effort spending. Um, and be, when you just get to the point where like, oh, it's never going to change anyway. So we might as well just right. continue to build. Right. And, and then I we don't will even tell know you, what we're doing. I will tell you it was never bills. Like I never found myself in the situation where I was like, oh my gosh, I have to put my cell phone on the credit card this month. Um, so it was most likely, you know, it, like you just said, the apathy, apathy spending. And I did not have an Amazon Prime account back then. So not <laughs> guilty. <laughs> Oh, how funny. That's, Not that's guilty like some of boxes showing up at the door every day. Uh, yeah, that was not my problem. I actually only got an Amazon Prime account about five years ago, which is probably about 12 years after everyone else did. So. Yeah, that's, I still don't have one. So I, I'm nice. one of the odd odd people out there. Um, but And, and I, I'm sorry for derailing. I was just actually curious about that. But re regarding the coaching piece of it, one of the things that I have found as we were interviewing you ahead of this podcast was that you got coaching yourself. And I can tell you with a lot of the coaches that we've been working with at New Money Habits, many of them have not actually sought out coaching themselves. Many of them go down the path of like all of the other things you said, I had this much in debt, I was able to, you know, do this particular program, I got out of it, I realized that I had this skill set and I was helping people and family members and then I thought, what the heck, I might as well create a business out of this. But yours was different because you used coaching in order to get yourself out of the mess. And I have seen that so many people do not. So that's one of the things that I would love for you to unpack for us a little bit today. What, what value did you find from your coach? Because those of people who are listening right now who maybe didn't go out and get coaching themselves yet... That's important. Um, but even if they do, they might not get financial coaching, right? They might get business yep. coaching or how to coach better type of thing, but they might not actually go out and get financial coaching. So could you, in the interest of our coaches understanding what our clients are actually looking for, what are those pain points? What did you gain from those coaches or that one coach that you hired? Yeah, that one for me when I was working on getting out of debt was the main thing for me was accountability. I was getting accountability from the uh, budgeting software every dollar. Uh, it's it's. By the way, I, I joke around that I was the first person in America with an iPhone to download it when the iOS version came out. There you <laughs> I go. Still, actually, firmly believe that. <laughs> <laughs> I was at like a. Uh, I was at my friend's house for like a party, and I'm sitting on the couch with my phone downloading. I was like, Oh my god, the iOS version's out. <laughs> so instead of just using it on my computer, I could then have it on my phone. Oh my gosh, since then that app has become so much more powerful. 
it prompts you. You don't have to phys- you don't have to go in and look for the transactions. Now it just prompts you. That thing is phenomenal if people haven't tried it. So I strongly suggest it. So I was getting the physical, let's call it like logistical accountability. Um, I had disciplined myself enough to go into the app every single day or log in. If I was at work, I happen, happen to have a few minutes to log in on my computer. But what I was doing was I, um, I am what Dave would call a nerd spender, which is also what Dave is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I That's am. Also what I am too. There you go. I am yep. someone who knows I am, I am spending, I may be overspending, but damn it, I know exactly what I am spending it on. <laughs> <laughs> So I had trained myself to go into the app and to um, drag and drop the transactions and kind of halfway through the month, I'd be like, oh, crap, I'm already done with miscellaneous. I'm already done with gifts. I'm already done with entertainment. I'm 90% through my restaurant budget because we went to happy hour two weeks in a row. And I'm like, this isn't good. I can't just keep moving, you know, And, and rarely did I find myself not being able to continue the debt snowball but I didn't always put as much towards the beginning debt as I wanted to because I, halfway through the month I would say oh well now I need more restaurant money you know this is pre-COVID this is when we go out to happy hour two or three times a week mm-hmm. uh, back in the day and so I realized I I can't keep doing this on the 15th the 17th of every month and reallocating this money I'm not I'm just not going to make as much progress so that's when I sought out uh, my former FPU coordinator mm. and I said hey I need a little extra help and so it really for me was the one-on-one person to person now it can be zoom on zoom right uh, but someone else looking at me and saying uh, we already have 300 in your restaurant budget. It's only one of you. This is before I was married. Uh, and we're already spent 235 of it. Talk to me about what we're doing for the rest of the month. Mm-hmm. You know, have we made a commitment to a birthday party? Have we made a commitment to an event? Is that going to put us over budget for the restaurants again? And then you have to actually answer that person, right? You have to like give them a, a plan of action instead of just saying, oh, I'm just going to move money around from here, 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 here. Uh, so now I had to like actually explain how I was going to fill that gap and still be able to make an extra $500 payment on my lowest debt, an extra $700 payment, whatever it is. Yeah. So that was the real turning point for me. I think as coaches, sometimes we get clients who they really do need process help, right? Right, guys? They need, like, we've never done a budget before. Oh, my God, look at this Excel spreadsheet. I've never seen anything like it, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes we are helping with processes, but other times it's the person knows what they're doing and they just need the accountability part. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, have you, did you, and maybe not because it hasn't come up in your story yet, but did you ever need that coach in order to help you understand some of the thinking that you had around money? Why were you doing the things in the first place? Did, did she help you with that as well? Or was it mostly accountability because you had the other processes in place? Yeah, it was, it was a gentleman, my, my former FPU coordinator. Oh, sorry about that. I don't know why I made oh, that assumption. Fine. And uh, he, he, it wasn't, I, I think for me, I knew that I wanted to pay it all off and I wanted to pay it all off quickly. But at the same time, being younger, being single, you don't want to miss out on stuff. And I'm, I hate this term FOMO because I am an old millennial. Okay. We don't, we did not make up FOMO. Some younger millennial made that. Hey, don't be hating on the younger millennials, all right? (laughs) (laughs) But we, there is still um, reason to want to, you don't want to miss out on stuff. Now I am not, uh, I am not someone who shirks away from confrontation. 
So if somebody said, hey, we're going to uh, Disneyland, right? So I was living in Southern California at this point. We're going to Disneyland uh, Saturday. Can you come? No, it's probably going to be two hundred dollars. It's probably going to be. It might be two fifty for the day, depending on who's driving, who's parking. You know, are we, are we going to be there for two meals, one meal, whatever the heck it was? I didn't have a problem saying no to that stuff. Mm-hmm. What my um, mental hurdle was was, oh, I'm just meeting Jill for happy hour. It's not going to be that much. Mm-hmm. Well, then next week I'm meeting Aaron for happy hour, and then the next week I'm meeting Christy for happy hour, mm-hmm. and so. It was instead, I was, I was perfectly capable of saying no to, I'm not going to Europe. I'm not going to Disneyland. I'm not, no, I can't commit to that. No, I can't go to that hockey game. The tickets are too expensive, whatever. But it was the little stuff. And like Mm -hmm. I said, halfway through the month, I'd be like, I don't understand. I'm not doing anything big and crazy and exciting like other people are. Where is my money going? So uh, yes, he definitely helped me realize, hey, this, it's the The little stuff that adds up. It's the, you know, and most people give the example of like Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts, right? It adds up over time. It builds, 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 builds. That's kind of what it was for me. And that was a turning point in my uh, thinking to be able to say, okay, I don't have to go to happy hour twice a week. I can go to happy hour twice a month. And I'm just going to do it strategically. Yeah. It's interesting because I think that, you know, with me being a coach as well for the last almost two years now, year and a half, two years, um, I found that the the big things are sometimes an issue for people, um, but more often than not, it is just a lot of the small things. And, you know, that's a huge thing because people don't realize it until they like look at look at stuff at the end of the month. They're like, what happened? You know, and uh, it, it I call them the silent but deadly, you know, because they stink. You know, uh, so that's what I always tell people. They stink. They're silent but deadly <laughs> because it's true, you know. So, thanks for that visual. Like I just see yeah. a poof of something. You're like, I... <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's a fact. <laughs> so, but I I do want to actually uh, go a little bit deeper um, because you touched on the mindset side of it, right? And I know that that's something that you are very passionate about. Like you're very passionate about the psychology of money and everything that goes behind behind that. So would you mind kind of going into detail as to like why exactly you are so passionate about the psychology of money and what is like important to understand about that as well? Yeah, it's so important. Um, You're not going to be able to make changes financially until you address the emotional and the mental blocks. So somewhere between, depending on what survey you pull up, somewhere between 78 and 85% of Americans right now uh, are living paycheck to paycheck. So the Mm -hmm. first thing I want to say is when it comes to the psychology thing, you're not the only idiot screwing this up. (laughs) We're talking about 80 to 90% of Americans almost are in the same position, are waiting for that next paycheck so that they can buy groceries so that they can catch up on that Verizon bill. So first and foremost, we have to recognize and we have to impart on our clients and coaches. I know, actually know a handful of coaches who are still working through their own financial journey. Not all financial coaches are uh, multimillionaires with their retirement fully funded already and their house paid off. So we have to recognize we're not the only ones. And then I want to recognize what, what Dave says, 
personal finance being 80% behavior and 20% math. So we don't need to focus on the 20% math. We need to focus on the 80% behavior, the behavior being made up by what are our mental blocks, what are our emotional obstacles, and taking a look backwards and figuring out what those are so that we can move forward and only have, not only, but uh, look at the 20%, look at the black and white numbers. Okay, we've overcome this emotional desire to make sure we're at every single party and every single dinner and otherwise we're going to feel left out and like we're missing something. And now that we've attacked that, worked through that a little bit, or at least can recognize it. Now let's go to the numbers. Now let's see how this is going to impact your life and get you to the places you want to be. If we're not committing to every single happy hour, every single week. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think that, uh, there's, um, with what, I'm trying to think about how I want to say this Um, with what you said about it being the 80% behavior and the 20% knowledge. Right. Um, I totally agree with that because when I'm, when I'm in my consultations with people, I tell them like, I want them to understand like what coaching really is. I mean, obviously you want to make sure that you clarify that with people and some people, when they go into a call with you the first time or the second time, whatever, they think that you're just going to like go in and fix everything for them. Um, and like, you know, be like, yep, just take these numbers and put them over here. And then these numbers will look good. Uh, and you know, that's not what coaches do, but I tell them like, even if, even if I were to do that, theoretically speaking, uh, (laughs) it wouldn't matter because, you know, even if I were to go in and just fix everything for you, which is not what coaches do anyways, but even if I were to do that, Six months afterwards, we're done working with each other. You're going to be right back to where you were before and sometimes even worse um, because nothing actually happened in your mind or in your heart. And that's that's like the real sauce. Like that's what really what people are really looking for, you know, and and the numbers, the numbers will change accordingly. But that needs to be the first thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we do do actual process changes and we do move numbers around on a piece of paper. So, uh, for example, I'm working with a couple right now where um, we we one of the first they came to me and said, we know our habits need to change, but we are about to refinance and we really want someone else to look at this with a fresh set of eyes. So our first several sessions, um, our first handful of sessions, I should say were immediately addressing, okay, this mortgage needs to be refinanced. It was, uh, it was, it was an ugly mortgage. And so in, in the immediate, yeah, what we did was, okay, let's just do math. Here's, you know, they had already done a very um, skeleton type budget. We input those numbers. They signed up for every dollar. We're sharing the screen. Okay, this is numbers, right? Black and white, black and white. The mortgage is going from this to this, but once we refinance, it's going from that to this to this. So let's plug those numbers in. Let's unplug those numbers in. So yeah, sometimes are we playing around with numbers on a screen? Yeah. But Mm -hmm. they called saying, we are going through this process and we know once this refinance is done in the next 30 days, our behaviors need to change. We can't. Yeah. We can't almost lose our family home again. Right. And so, I, yes, I in the immediate, that. it was a lot of black and white number shifting, but they knew they were in it for the long term. And we we're going to be working together for a whole year 
uh, through the holidays, they already warned me the holidays might be a little ugly. (laughs) (laughs) Through the holidays, through the new year, through the spring, um, they've got a couple kids starting college, leaving college. They've got a lot of stuff going on. So sometimes it is procedural and numbers and, and input and output and blah, blah, blah. But like you said, Cody, the majority of it is if you don't have that head and that heart change, I could refinance your mortgage into uh, a 15-year fixed with 0% interest, and it's still not going to do you any good. Yeah. And I, I like that you, um, you you took those clients and with that unique situation, and you bended your normal coaching process to meet them, right? Um, and we just had an episode about that uh, not too long ago, about meeting clients where they're at. Um, and I think that that's like a very that's a very uh, good example that shows that like, Hey, like you, you are a good coach because you're willing to not do exactly what you want to do first, second, third, and fourth. You know, you're like, okay, I understand. Let's tackle this first. Then let's go from there. You know? And I think that's really important. Yeah. It's so important. Um, I, uh, when I talk to other coaches, I say, you know, yes, of course, we want to get to the root of this issue and we want to get to, but if the person is sitting there going, I literally don't know how I'm going to buy diapers next week, then maybe we actually need to take a step back. We need to look at the numbers and we say, here are three options that we can do right now. Here are a few things we can do so that you have the money to buy diapers next Monday. And after that, next Thursday, when we meet again, I want to start talking about whatever, I want to start talking about what money was like for you growing up. That might not be the most important questions to them at that very moment, right? So you, like you said, Cody, we have to meet them where they are. We have to be willing to bend ourselves as coaches to, you know, we don't want to give them too much grace, right, Maria? Like we want to give them grace, but we don't want to give them too much grace. Well, <laughs> we don't want to go the other direction. <laughs> Funny but you should mention you, that because I've been trying to figure out where to fit this in. <laughs> I made a couple of notes and, and that's correct. We don't want to give too much grace to the point where it is enabling. And yes. I think that that's what you are referencing right there. Yeah. Uh, but if I may, I would actually like to, to throw this in there. When we talk, there's a, there's a couple of things. Um, you guys are talking about the need for the head and heart change, right? And I believe that that's super important. I also believe that there's a need for a perception change. And let just hear me out when I tell you what I mean by that. So going back to the example that you guys had about say no to the big things. Like you're like, I know how to say no to Disneyland. I know how to say no to, you know, these nice large, large trips or whatever. Um, but what I wasn't saying no to was the small happy hours. And those were the things that add up. And I think from a logical standpoint, that it makes sense to us. We're like, oh yeah, all these little things add up. I'm uh, pretty sure Dave says, you know, death by a thousand cuts. I'm sure he's not the one who coined that, but I, I remember him saying it a lot. Um, and so that's how we kind of look at this. As a psychology major, <laughs> someone who's really fascinated by this, here's how I look at this. We say no to the big things because we feel like we have to. We've been told we have to say no to the big things. What happens then is we feel deprived, right? So then we say yes to the little things. Because that makes us feel justified because, well, at least we're saying no to the big things, right? And we have to, as coaches, I think, this is just, this is me. Um, I talk about giving permission to shift the yes. So what I mean by that is what if we gave our clients permission and grace to say yes to the big things as long as they were willing to say no to the little things? 
And it kind of helps them realize I can afford this thing. I just can't afford everything. So I have to make my own priorities. And it allows them to put those things in priority order rather than us doing that for them. Does that make sense? I, I love this because I have a great example, real life example that literally just came to fruition in the last 10 days. Awesome. Um, I have clients who uh, wanted to, they wanted to go to New England in the spring for something. Uh, they wanted to go to, I can't think of what the second thing was, but then all of a sudden their son has the opportunity to play at a certain tournament in November and they were like, we can't miss this. And so they came to me and they're like, we don't think this is possible, but what if, what if we gave up that trip to New England we already mentioned? What if we gave up that other trip that we were supposed to be doing in the next two weeks? They literally were, but like the, the, the husband had the phone in his hand to cancel the hotel for like the, whatever the trip was the next week that they had already pre-planned before we had started working together. And they said, what if we canceled both of those things and we went to go see our son play in this tournament? And I could tell that the question wasn't, does the math work out? The question, the look in their faces was, is this okay if we are willing to give these things up in order to get this other thing? Mm -hmm. And it was, it was just, it was wonderful. It was a beautiful moment because yeah. that's what they did. They gave up two other, let's call them medium to big size things. They were trips. They were going to be leaving the area. They were going to be driving for seven hours or they were going to be getting in a plane. These weren't, the, but they weren't, they, 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 they did not come to the level of this big thing of mm -hmm. seeing their son qualify for this tournament. He's, he's too young to basically be, he's like the youngest person in this tournament. Basically it is awesome. a big deal for him to get into this thing. And they said, can we, shift these big things in order to this these medium-sized things in order to get this one big thing mm -hmm. and their homework was you got to budget the trip what's the hotel going to cost what's the gas going to cost what's the food going to cost and they looked at me and they're like oh yeah we have we have to budget the trip duh you know <laughs> <laughs> but it was such a it was you're right because did I say, no, no, you guys can't do this. You were supposed to cancel that trip in two weeks anyway, and you're certainly not going to New England. I mean, <laughs> we got a whole bunch of debt to pay off. What is wrong with you people? Did I say that? No, no. We, I said, wow, that is amazing. That is such an accomplishment. Let's see if we can do this. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then they, they did their homework. Six days later, we met again. I said, all right, let's get this, because they had to cancel the other hotels. I was like, all right, let's go. Can we, can we make this work? And sure enough, we made it work. And, uh, and they canceled the other trips because they wanted to get this one big thing in. Yeah, and they were willing and to give up. That's those really good, because you know what? what happens oftentimes, if, if the coach or they decide no, and then they're left with resentment later, all that's going to happen, and, and I hate to say it, but no matter what the numbers do, if they are living in that resentment space, all they're going to do is keep doing the small things, those, those small things that are then make them feel justified for doing those things because they gave up this one really big thing that was important to them. And then that's just going to get right back to the whole, you know, death by a thousand cuts. So uh, I appreciate you letting me throw that in there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and one of the things I tell people when we're talking about, you know, how does that make you feel to give up X for Y or to give up Y for X or vice versa? 
Um, I like to go through those questions um, that really dig deeper into the psychology of money. So what was money like for you growing up? Did you help out around the house? Did you attend private school? Did you wear hand-me-downs? Was there three family vacations a year? And we take a look back and we say, okay, how does that look? And, And was there ever a time as a child that money ran out? Did you know about it? Uh, did you not know about it? What were some of the things your your parents or guardians said about money that you uh, remember them saying? Was it was it you know money is the root of all evil, or was it we have plenty of money, do whatever the heck you want? And a lot looking back at a lot of those questions can help us determine why we're doing the things today because those habits were being grown and built back when we were five and finally started real, you know, we finally started playing a grocery store with our little fake Fisher price food. Right. (laughs) And we had to to hand our sibling money in order to check out. Um, So that a lot of that stuff comes from deep back, you know, like you, you being a psychology major, I I jokingly say that in 50 years, financial coaches are going to need a psych degree because (laughs) we're not going to need a business degree. We're not going to need a finance degree. We're going to need psych degrees because it really is is more about the psychology than it is about, like you said, it's, it's the ability to shift your thinking, not necessarily move the numbers on the paper. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, you know, what kinds of messages did you hear? And while those are very, very important, I think it's also important to realize that a lot of times the, the thoughts that we have about money aren't even from messages we heard at all. It's from the implications of different things that happened. Right. And so I think that that is something to um, keep in mind as well, where if we just watch a scene play out somewhere and and other people are making comments and we just see, like, I'll give you an example. Um, I know of somebody who, when they were little, their parents had just lost a baby. And this was a long, long time ago. So the parents had lost a baby. And this was back in the day when the doctors would, like, actually go to the house to collect the money. So way long time ago, right? Um, <laughs> and and so this little kid was in the driveway when a doctor pulled up in a really, really nice car and demanded money from the father and the father's like have you no heart we just lost our child and you know all of you all of you doctors all you care about is money and you come here and asking for this and so the father didn't think anything of this conversation he was quite justified in his emotional reaction to this but this young kid watched that and internalized all people who have money are greedy jerks Mm. like the dad had accused this person of being now was that individual a greedy jerk probably right? Who probably was heartless. Uh, But this kid internalized that as all people who have nice cars, all people who have a lot of money are greedy jerks. And so as he grew up, he repelled money. He didn't do it on purpose. It was just like, as he would get bonuses and stuff, he would start to self-sabotage because he didn't want to be that greedy jerk one day. Right. And so none of that was something that was like, very obvious. It's not until you start unpacking things like, oh, oh, tell me about some of those stories that happen. And then, then you go, oh, so this is why, but we don't know that. We don't even know what stories to look for, what questions to ask until we understand what is the pattern that they're engaging in right now. Right. So like I have a client right now who it's all about seeking out opportunities. And I'm like, that's awesome. I teach people how to seek out opportunities, but this man, I tell you what, like he'll have $40,000, and he'll name it 15 different things and he'll, he'll spend through that like in his head. And so like we have a discussion about that 
And then two days later, I find out that he not only did he not do any of those things he wanted to do. Now he's talking to so-and-so about pursuing oh. his next opportunity. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> okay, so we need to, we need to talk about like how we're living in the dream state, right? <laughs> and not actually proving it to yourself. You've got this opportunity over here. Let's capitalize on that first. And then oh, there's so, uh, so many distractions, right? right? Just so, so many distractions in our society. So, uh, so many distractions, yeah. right? Just so many distractions in our societies, not just about what happened in the past, but what's the, not just about what happened in the past, but what's the marketing tactics? What, mm -hmm. what do you think you're most impacted by? Are you the scrolling through Instagram and see something else somebody, one of your friends just got and then go and seek it out and get it yourself? Um, it's so, so many distractions these days and it's so easy to get derailed, whether it's $40 or $40,000. Yeah. And not even just the marketing stuff. I mean, look at the political stuff that's going on, right? And not to get political, but when you look at all of the social uh, programs and stuff, like how that how that rolls out when we're growing up and when we're adulting, that will really shape what we're doing forward. I mean, you're seeing right now that there are all of these job openings and people would rather sit home because somebody's paying them to sit home. And so that is a psychology thing. <laughs> like That's like you're, you're deciding, you know, oh yeah, it's just easier to do this. And, and then, and then we, all of a sudden we have people who aren't wanting to work anymore where, you know, work actually, yes. it's a, yes, it's a no. value that, a lot of people have. And so it's, I think, I think it's more than just the marketing. It definitely is like what's going on societal, you know, the norms and all of that. And it's just the messages that we are receiving. Um, so yeah, it's very, very, very interesting, very complicated. And I think you're right. In <laughs> a few years, most people are going to need a psychology degree or at least some sort of, some sort of background in understanding. We're all going to need a, we're all going to need a counseling degree in like, order to so. continue in our field. <laughs> right. Right, right. Well, I guess I'm glad I yes. seized that opportunity all those years ago. <laughs> so I don't have to redo that. Uh, but it's definitely a, a practice that I have to keep practicing because it, so much is yeah. just changing over, you know, Absolutely. day to day. I think it's really also. Oh. So speaking of speaking on that. No, go ahead, Cody. It's oh, all sorry. you. Go ahead, Suzanne. Well, I was going to change the subject slightly. Yeah. So what if you, you want to wrap up, go ahead. <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I was going to say, speaking on the whole psychology side of things, since we are talking about this, I know that you personally, Suzanne, um, have kind of coined this little phrase and this idea that uh, ties into this that really helps people. Um, and I think it's pretty brilliant myself, um, even like right down to what you call it. Like, it's very like, like, it just has a, an amazing name. It's easy to remember, all this kind of stuff. So what that is, it's called the 17-minute rule, correct? Okay, so the 17-minute rule. So can you explain what this 17-minute rule is, how you came up with it, and how it helps people? Yes, so the rule itself is quite simple. Uh, it can be applied to uh, okay. any topic, not just money. Uh, it can be applied to relationships mm -hmm. and sex and politics and all of those 
more dramatic, intense conversations that we have. The cool part is how um, the really the rule came about. And so years ago, I was coaching a married couple. And at the time that I was coaching them, let's say they'd been married for like six, seven years. And so this wasn't a newlywed couple, right? They've been together. They've dated for two or three years beforehand. They've been married for six or seven years. So they know each other pretty well, right? And we are tackling budgeting and Dave's principles for the very first time. These, mm-hmm. these guys have not heard of any of this, none of it. Um, it you know, we even had to get a, a baseline of who Dave Ramsey is. And while we were going through the coaching, we were also on the side going through the FPU courses. So that was part of their homework was to watch the individual lessons and right. come with some feedback. And then we would go through our personalized coaching together. And between 15 and 20 minutes in, every single week, I was meeting with them weekly, the husband would start to get agitated and frustrated and angry, really outright angry. And he'd walk out without fail. He left every <laughs> meeting between 15 and 20 minutes in. Um, we weren't watching the video, so it's not like Dave was saying anything to offend him. It was just the three of us sitting there talking talking about it could have been uh what does next month budget look like okay guys it's the 15th of the month how does october look how does november look and within 15 to 20 minutes he stormed out every single time sometimes he was only gone for like three five seven minutes and other times it would take 30 minutes for him to come back and he was either outside sitting in the car, he walked around the block, but this topic of money was so explosive for him when he was talking about this. It, 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 we ended up finding out that a lot of what it was, was all of the words tied to financial coaching, you know, budgeting, <laughs> discipline, all those scary words that we try not to use right up front. All of that made him feel like he was going to be restricted for the rest of his life. And he was never going to get anything he wanted. And he grew up in um, a not so well off area in New York City. And he didn't want to be, he had left New York City. He didn't want to be one of those people. He wanted to be able to have things in life that he wanted. And, but it was just this pressure cooker that was exploding after 15 to 20 minutes. And so after several weeks of this, (laughs) my early coaching self realized we can't keep having him leave for 30 minutes in the middle of the meeting, middle of an hour long meeting. Right. So, uh, I set a timer and I said it, I think I said it for like 10 minutes the first time. And after 10 minutes, we would stop whatever we were doing and we would say, okay, what are we? All right, let's take a break. Let's, you know, uh, <laughs> no, nobody smoked, but go have a cigarette, <laughs> you know, go use the bathroom, go get a refill of water. And then we're going to pick it up, you know, we're going to move from the, the, the lifestyle section of the budget to the personal section of the budget. We're going we're gonna to go, we're going to move from the budget, we're going to go to the debt snowball. Okay, great. And so I, it ended up becoming such a pattern uh, that I basically created a rule for it. And so not, not in my sessions any longer do I do it, but this is something that I impart on people, whether they're married or single. Because, by the way, uh, if you are single, it might actually be more important to impart this rule on yourself than if you're married and you have a partner in this whole situation. Uh, basically, the rule works as such. You set a timer for 17 minutes when you go to do your budget committee meeting, as Dave calls it. 
So whenever you go to sit down, um, you know, let's just pretend we're doing December's budget. And so it's like mid-month November or towards the end of the month, November, we're talking about December and it's Christmas. There's a lot of tension, you know, stuff's more expensive these days <laughs> and we know we're going to get frustrated. So as a couple, we sit down, we set a timer and we say, okay, we're going to talk about the budget for 17 minutes. And when that timer stops, we're going to stop. That's it. We're not going to allow ourselves this, this level of frustration. We're not going to do the whole December budget in five, you know, in, in uh, an hour at the end of November or two hours of screaming and blah, blah, blah. blah. We're going to stop and we're going to take a break. And depending on where we're at, let's pick it up tomorrow for 17 minutes. And then let's pick it up the next day for 17 minutes. And this does a multitude of things. Like I said, it, it prevents that pressure cooker from building up and exploding, but it also develops the discipline of looking at your money every single day and knowing where you stand every single day. I don't care what budgeting software you use, you know, every dollar, uh, YNAB, Mint, whatever you want to use, good budget. It, if you can develop that habit of looking at your financial status every single day, just for a few moments, that is going to go a long way in your financial discipline in your life yeah. years down the road past that's, the December budget. That's very, very powerful because that's something that I think that most people who struggle with budgeting it's because they're not like consistent with it. You know, um, there's, there's a wide range of, of reasons as to why someone might struggle with it. But that's one that I see is pretty common is that they don't stay very consistent with it. So if you stick with it for, you know, 15, 17 minutes a day and it becomes an everyday thing, um, one, it's not so overwhelming when you actually do sit down and do it, uh, which led to the ultimately led to him walking out, you know, so it's it's more digestible it's obviously more enjoyable especially for the wife you know <laughs> uh and uh you know there's more accomplished and i i think it's i think it's a great thing and you know i th i think that if there's any coaches out there listening we to this and they have a couple that is maybe in a similar position or or maybe even like a individual who um is maybe struggling with that it might be something that you might want to try you know just give it a shot See what, see what happens. Yeah, totally. Steal shamelessly, guys. That's another thing about financial coaches. I love uh, telling coaches who are like, oh, that's mm -hmm. a great idea. I'm like, well, take it and run with it and make it your own. <laughs> um, single people like we're, we don't, we're not forgetting about you, right? Like the 17 minutes is, is, is not only to just prevent the, the couple's fight, the married couple's fight, um, the 17 minutes is so that you don't get overwhelmed as a single person because you are doing this on your own. Don't let yourself sit there for three hours and think, I am such an idiot. I can't do this. I'm all alone. I don't have support. Set a timer for yourself so that you can see what you've accomplished in 17 minutes and then go back to it the next day and say, oh man, I finished like three sections of that budget. That's awesome. And then pick it up where you left off. You know, if you're just starting the debt snowball, then set a timer for 17 minutes and, and you've got to enter quite a bit of information in the debt snowball. So I don't want you to get discouraged halfway through and say, oh, I don't even have half my debts entered and it's been three hours. No, break it up into tiny, manageable, like, like Cody said, digestible, chewable pieces. And just don't have that grace with yourself. Don't beat yourself up so much. Uh, allow the timer to be your stopping point. You're, you're kind of like your safe stopping point and know that we're just going to do it again tomorrow. And, and mm -hmm. any mistakes I made today, we can Absolutely. fix in tomorrow, 17 minutes. Great. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for uh, sharing everything. Um, 
I, I do want to wrap up with, with one last question. And I, I think this is a really uh, awesome question. And I, I, I always like hearing what people have to say about this. So what is the biggest lesson that you have taken away from the clients that you have worked with yourself? Oh, the biggest lesson I have taken away from the clients that I have worked with. I know it's a big question. That's why I like um, it. It's a thinker. I know that was, a hard, that was a hard one. Yeah. Full disclosure, guys, they gave me, a, they gave me like, uh, yep. a, a heads up on this one. Brain and, and that we I didn't ask it. <laughs> think of one thing. I thought of like, <laughs> I thought of like 12 things and I'm like, oh, I don't know which one to go with. Right. I was like hoping we wouldn't get to it. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I think the biggest thing is, um, that even the person that you start working with, uh, and, and if you've been coaching longer than six months, you know, this, the person that you start working with that you're like, this person's paying me and they're showing up to the meetings, but they're never going to make any progress. Either the numbers look too scary or the income doesn't look like enough, or the person just doesn't seem motivated enough. People can shock you with what they can do. And I think the biggest lesson that I've taken away from those specific clients is do not underestimate someone who really truly yeah. wants to make a change in their life. That's powerful. Yeah. Big, 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 powerful. See, you picked a good one yeah. out of your 12. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, and I know that <laughs> I know that you mentioned share, 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 you know, steal whatever you need to steal. Uh, we have your permission to put your information and your 17 minute uh, trick, right? Uh, process in our show notes. So people yes. can have access to that. Is that correct? Thank you so much. Yes. Yep. And I'm going to provide uh, a bunch of those questions. I know that uh, um, when I speak to coaches that uh, maybe don't go, you know, they get into the psychology stuff, but they don't, don't necessarily go all the way back. I, I really do enjoy looking back at people's history. So I'll include all those questions. We kind of rattled off really quickly about uh, money growing up and really getting specific and digging down into those things. Cause like you said, Maria, it is, it's important to know our backstory. Yeah. So that, that would be amazing. Thank you so much for your generosity with that. Today. I know that our listeners are they're probably just, you know, jotting down a bunch of notes and now y'all don't have to do that. You can, <laughs> you can just get the actual PDF from our show right. notes. So that'll be fun for you. And any, any last minute thoughts that you have for us, Suzanne, before we wrap up? I just want to say thank you to you guys uh, and New Money Habits, everything you guys are doing. You know, I discovered the show uh, maybe three <laughs> or four episodes in and went through them very quickly. <laughs> and I think everything you guys are doing is great. Um, if any, anybody's listening out there that's an, somehow fallen into this lap of, of New Money Habits and you're not following these guys, get on there. They've got such great resources, especially uh, during the holiday season. Really take a look at that. And thank, thank you guys you so again for, for all your that. hard We're work. We're so that glad you that you happened upon the podcast and that you asked to be part of it. We love having you here. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you all for listening. Awesome. Thank you for welcoming Suzanne uh, so warmly. It was definitely a great experience. And uh, we hope to catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Podcast. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Financial Coaches Podcast. 
brought to you by New Money Habits and Sizemore Financial Coaching. Submit your questions to our host by emailing podcast at newmoneyhabits.com. Be sure to subscribe to be notified of future episodes and join our growing group of like-minded coaches on Facebook. And until next time, happy coaching. Music provided by Summer School.